Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. Welcome to Back to School Again, the show for midlife learners. This season, we're pleased to partner with Athabasca University as we take our show production fully online. Athabasca University is celebrating 50 years as Canada's online university. On this show, we talk with midlife learners about their educational journeys, sharing their stories about how they are balancing the demands of school, work, and family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. I met today's guest two years ago as a direct result of starting this podcast. From the first day I stepped into the studio, he's been there listening to every episode. He's heard the interviews that worked, along with the mumbles and the stumbles, all of it. But today, I'm putting Corey Stroder in front of the microphone to share his back-to-school journey as he upgrades his skills in e-learning and project management. Corey, it feels so weird to say this, but welcome to the podcast. Katrina, it feels weird beyond this side of the mic. <laughs> yeah, tell me more. How does it feel to be the subject of the interview? Uh, you know, I'm grateful to be included in the podcast. Uh, you and I have done so much work on this over the years, and at the same time, I'm the guy who's got to edit my voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be so fun for you. Oh, <laughs> now, before we jump into uh, this latest back-to-school journey, I know this isn't the first time that you've switched careers. So going way back before your time as a multimedia producer, you actually trained as a cook. What led you down that path initially, and why did you leave? Uh, so the cooking path was... Primarily a high school thing. Um, we had a great food program at high school, and and I, I just I really was drawn to it, and I loved cooking. I mean, I cooked a lot on my own at home, and this and that, and it just yeah, it was one of those things. I just really enjoyed cooking, and decided to try and make a vocation out of it. Um, you know, and that was a one year program at Nate or at Sate in Calgary, and loved it. It was great, and then I worked for the Mount Springs Hotel for a year. Really. Now, the reason why I left, and actually I ended up going to hotel restaurant management, uh, was because um, I've got bad feet. And when you're working on your feet 10, 12-hour days, limping home after a long day just wasn't my ideal of a lifelong vocation anymore. And So, yeah, that's why, but it sticks with you, right? You know, you, you it's one of those things that you just, it's a hobby. You love it and you enjoy it and you share food and you share recipes. And it's, yeah, it, I, I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for the the skills and it's, it's always a good conversation piece. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those skills that really, because in your personal life, obviously you can use it a lot. And it's also kind of impressive when you have people over and you're able to make something really nice for them. So I'm sure it doesn't go to waste. <laughs> So let's talk about uh, multimedia production and your initial training in this field. So I think we're talking about the, the 90s, maybe the early 2000s. What did the field of multimedia production look like way back then? And what's remained relevant uh, and what's changed? So I took uh, the multimedia uh, certificate program at Nate in 2000. And it was an eight-month certificate program. And, you know, now this program I took is now a two-year uh, diploma at Nate and Lethbridge University actually offers a new media four-year degree program. So it, the field in terms of teaching has evolved dramatically and uh, it, it's great to see in that regards. Um, multimedia, when I first started, was it was heavy on the web design and, and web, web building because that was really where it was. And we touched on video, we touched on audio, we touched on um, 
um, you know, authoring uh, applications and stuff like that using Macromedia Flash and Authorware and, uh, and dinosaur programs now. I vaguely remember Macromedia. <laughs> you know, and I think as the multimedia developer, which I was grateful to do that role in Norquist for 12 years, the thing I loved the most about it was the the diverse range of work I could do. And so one day I'd be doing web design, web working, or building email um, programs or whatever. And then the other days I could be working in the studio and, and working with you, Katrina, building a podcast or, or filming video for a course. And, and what was always the amazing part about the job was that was just the connecting with so many different people throughout the college because I was the one guy that did a lot of different things. And it was the people aspect I really enjoy about this field. That's really cool. And uh, I remember uh, the first time that I met you and I thought, this guy is so good with people, which I thought was a little unusual for for technical people. I hadn't met a lot of technical people who are also good with people. No, no slam on technical people, but that's kind of been my experience. I want to get into the uh, talking about the the internet, because the internet has impacted both of our jobs in so many ways. I know in media, it really changed the industry completely. What changes have you seen from a post-secondary perspective in your role as a multimedia producer when it comes to the internet and delivery of online content? Uh, well, I mean, it was the the rapid needing to move curriculum and teaching online with this COVID. That was a, a massive adjustment for everybody. And, uh, you know, we'd seen that happen at Norquest over the course of 12 years and, you know, evolving from Blackboard to Moodle and, and you know, there had always been a teaching online component and it's just, it was where the trend was going. It's just the trend took a rapid curve up. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a good thing and, and people are going to need these options. And actually it's well suited to my learning style as I've been learning because I wasn't sure. And, it, it, you know, I, I like the flexibility to it. And I think a lot of other people appreciate the flexibility, but at the same time, I see challenges in, in learning environments online. And, and that's because I've got this multimedia web design and, 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 and specifically some, you know, knowledge and experience in terms of accessibility, usability and, and design. And I find a lot of these, these three core components are kind of, you know, secondary when it comes to getting the curriculum. And of course, content is king. But content is only as good as it's accessed and used and appealed to, right? Absolutely. And I want to talk more about accessibility. But before we do that, I think it might be good just to um, explain Blackboard and Moodle because some mm. of our guests listening might be going, what is that exactly? Can you talk a bit about uh, those learning management right. systems? Yeah. So LMS or learning management system, um, These there's there's literally hundreds of different versions out there. Um, so Moodle would be the big open source, um, community driven, um, tool out there. Uh, a lot of institutions in Alberta have got it, including University of Alberta, Nate and, um, Norquest. Uh, Blackboard is probably the original big player in the space. Um, and Grant McEwen is actually one that uses it. Uh, other players would include desire to learn some, um, what is that? Um, uh, Brightspace. Brightspace. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and then there's Canvas as well. Um, and interesting because 
I've gone to school at Nate now. I've gone to school at Grant McEwen and I'm going to school at the University of Calgary. So all of a sudden I'm using Desire to Learn, Blackboard and and Moodle. <laughs> and what's been your favorite? I really been? like um, um, Desire to Learn or Brightspace. It's it's well laid out. It's And actually you can actually see your own statistics as a user. Um, and it's nice laid out. It transitions to um, uh, mobile use really easily. Uh, discussion forums are really well done. Like it's, it is a well thought out tool. I, I'm a fan. I'd like to get more access to the back back side of it. Yeah, I'm a fan too. And I actually, the first time I encountered uh, Desire to Learn was through Athabasca. So I took one of the courses earlier this year uh, through the PowerEd offering. And I was so impressed uh, with just a clean layout. And I've used other tools like Moodle and Blackboard myself. So I have to agree with you. I think they've done a fantastic job of creating a really great learning management system. Yeah, it's a it's a great starting point. And then from there, the instructors just need to follow best practices. All right, let's get back to you. Um, So earlier this year, like many people, your job situation changed. How did that prompt you to decide it was time to upgrade your skills? And what specifically did you want to work on upgrading? You know, Katrina, there's nothing like a complete and utter shift in your life than losing a job. (laughs) And, you know, I, like many Albertans and many Canadians, and for that fact, anyone around the world, you know, we're all experiencing a major shift in the economy and you know, and our, our work experiences. And part of the, for me, was thinking strategically in terms of I didn't want to commit to a big degree or diploma. I wanted to be, you know, one of those bit more agile and, you know, get in, get the skills I need to kind of build upon what I already have, 12 years experience in post-secondary, and find a niche and an angle that, I can be passionate about and I can, I can advocate for. And so I, I, you know, I, am strong on the media, I'm strong on the web. And, and so with those two components and this didn't dawn on me until I was taking my first class at the university of Calgary, the e-learning certificate and, you know, credits to the, to the instructor. She, she knows her material, she knows this and that, but when it came down to the actual material, there was just, a, a lot of fundamental usability design and user experience issues or accessibility issues that um, I know I can help institutions, subject matter experts and instructors to do better. And this is kind of the angle I'm going for. And this is kind of the direction I'm hoping my, my skill building can go. Yeah, and it's a very interesting um, area, and I think perhaps something that um, might benefit from being explained a little bit more, because when we talk about the concept of accessibility as it applies to an online space, sometimes it's not the easiest thing to understand. So what exactly do you mean by that, and why is it important, and, and what does it actually look like to be accessible in an online environment? Think about when you look at a, a, a website and then close your eyes. Now, how are you going to navigate to that website? I, I, I was fortunate enough to work with a fellow over at Norquist College, Lauren Weber, and he is completely blind. He works at the Disability um, Center at, at Norquist. And, but watching the man surf the, a webpage was inspiring, and it was amazing to watch because 
on the computer, he would um, use something called JAWS. And so this would basically take the text and make it audible for him in the ear. But he was listening at eight or 10 times the speed that you and I normally speak mm. to go through a web page. So he's digesting navigation content at an incredible rate. And that, that to me is, is something amazing. And, and, and so for him, what's important is, is structure. So you need to be able to follow proper semantics on a web, on a web page or, or in a learning content in order for systems and tools like this to properly read. And the advantage to doing things properly semantic is not, it not only impacts those with disabilities, but it provides a better content experience for everybody. Making sure your content is accessible not only benefits those who need it, but also benefits everybody as users. Wow. That's really interesting. Oh, it's amazing. And you should see him on a tablet or, or on his phone. It's just tapping the finger. And it, the, again, the phone is just speaking to him super fast. And the screen's off. <laughs> so it, 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 if you ever get a chance to, to see someone surf the internet blind, it's, an, it's, it's incredible to watch. Wow. It makes me think of all the things we take for granted. Um, so much of what, you know, our online experiences and we talk about it as screen time and staring at a screen. But for those of us who, um, who don't necessarily have that, um, that ability to do that, you know, we haven't, uh, I don't know, we have, I haven't fully wrapped my head around that. So mm-hmm. you've, you've painted an interesting picture for me. Yeah. And um, that's, that's only one disability. Yeah. You know, and some people have got, more than one disability. Um, one of my fellow students in this teaching online course we just started, she um, she works with deaf-blind students. So how do you learn to communicate, let alone surf the internet and get content? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the learning curve alone on that, to me, has got to be daunting and a heck of a challenge. Hmm. Well, let's circle back a little bit. And you already mentioned the University of Calgary. You mentioned this e-learning certificate. Um, I'm kind of wondering why you chose that particular program, what drew you to it, and also how the program was structured and what kind of courses you you took as part of the program. Again, me wanting to focus on being an e-learning professional and helping people in that space. Um, and at the time when I made that decision, I wasn't quite entirely sure what my direction was going to be, but I was interested in, in keeping in, in the learning. And and so I took the course and my wife, Catherine, she's like, now, Corey, this is a university level course. Don't just take one at a time. Okay. Okay. Because I've never done a university course, right? And so, holy cow, Katrina. <laughs> The amount of reading and 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 writing it was just it was an eight week course and it, or nine week course and it just I I did a lot of work and <laughs> it was daunting and I what was shocking is I aced it wow yeah and and so I'm I'm proud of myself being able to do that but at the same time it's like I I don't know how you did your course Katrina because. <laughs> I only did one. You, 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 uh, you were working on your master's. <laughs> well, you've heard me complain a little bit over the years. <laughs> so tell me a bit more about this. Um, you know, you say you've never done a university level course and, and even coming back to a formal post-secondary education, um, it had been a while yeah. for you. 
Um, so tell me a bit more about that experience. What was it like the first time that you kind of opened up the reading that needed to be done or looked at an assignment? What were you feeling? Uh, terror. <laughs> Utter <laughs> terror. It was like looking at, oh, yeah, your your project in two weeks is, is like a 10-page stakeholder document. <laughs> and then you got a partnership one two weeks after that. And then your final project has to be 12 pages and, you know, APA. What's APA? <laughs> I remember hearing the librarians talking about it at Norquest. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's the bane of my existence. Is what it was. <laughs> I learned very quickly. And, you, you know, I don't, I, I, I know I wouldn't have done as well if I was working because I was able to put a lot of time into it. And, you know, I'll get better and I'm, my writing is improving, but at the same time was like, wow, this is really pushing me. And, and that's a good thing. Right. And what was the thing that you loved the most in that program? I got clarity. And it wasn't necessarily clarity in terms of e-learning. It was clarity for a direction for me, mm-hmm. um, for a career and to help because the, this space and you know e-learning professionals, uh, building instructors and subject matter experts, they're they're not necessarily usable usability experts, accessibility experts. And I truly know that this is an area I can help with. And I don't know everything in accessibility. I don't know everything in usability, but I know more than the average. And I know I can apply this into a career. I know I can help institutions produce better and clear material. And I know there is a way to improve a student's user experience, ultimately help them become knowledgeable in the field that they're trying to be at. Right. It seems super meta because you're studying about e-learning in the context of an e-learning environment. So you're, you're learning how to create online course content while also learning online. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of wondering about your reflections on your own online learning experience. I mean, were you kind of critiquing things as you were going or oh, what was it like? Yeah, it's... I guess I can be a bit pedantic in that way. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's partly my nature just to see see where things can be improved. And maybe that goes down goes back to my hospitality and customer service background because I know as a customer, as a user experience, I want better. I want a smoother user experience. Why isn't this document linked? Why isn't this thing using a header tag as opposed to just bolding tags? Why are they using an image to do this? So yeah, I can look at things with an incredible fine-tooth comb and 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 know where things can get better. And maybe I'll just start being the e-learning fixer. <laughs> I don't think you'll have a shortage of work. <laughs> I, I hope not. It's, it, I, honestly, I think the biggest challenge is is budgets and and convincing institutions that they need to invest in this. And I I, I guess for me, my argument to that is that you need to invest in this because not only are you a public institution, but you also preach inclusivity. And in order to be inclusive, you need to be accessible. 
Right. And I think we're at a really interesting time right now as, as the world essentially has shifted online in, in so many ways, including in post-secondary education. And um, the imperative just seems to be there in terms of um, getting the online learning experience um, done in a way that's engaging. And, um, and perhaps that means putting some budget behind it to making, making sure it's being done Absolutely. right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like in the U.S. where you got a litigious issue to deal with. Here in Canada, the rules really apply to the federal government only, unfortunately. But as institutions and as educators and as subject matter experts and developers, we have to do better. We have to make sure everyone can access the content equally. Absolutely. I want to talk a bit more about this idea of learning by doing, um, because as a multimedia producer and working in e-learning, it seems to me that there is a lot of doing. And whether that's building a video, a website, audio content, you learn theory, and then you learn how to apply that in practice and actually have to do something with it. What's that like for a creative person um, in applying the theory? And are there times when you think theoretically this should work, but it really doesn't? Or conversely, when um, you find something that perhaps wasn't covered in the theory, but it works really well? I tell you, you get really good at Google. <laughs> and and I, I think, you know, when I look back in my past and my, my experiences, it's really what's the problem, what's the solution? And the theory backs it up. Um, but, and, you know, coming back into school now, it, it, that's all kind of new. So I'm more theory than I am practical now. But my experience as a multimedia developer and just a multimedia in general, it's if I don't know it, there's someone else who's figured it out and how do they do it? Which is kind of what I'm thinking I want to end up doing too is uh, developing a platform, say a blog, to talk about accessibility, user experience, and design in an e-learning environment. And so I guess it's kind of a pay-it-forward kind of idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there is so much material out there online. I think the days of trying to like memorize everything and recite it, um, I think we're well beyond that. And especially when it comes to delivering a piece of content or something practical. Um, we really need to stay up on what other people are doing. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about project management because I know in addition to the e-learning coursework that you've done with U of C, you're also taking a project management course with McEwen. What made you decide to take project management? <laughs> uh you know, and I guess part of it is the pedantic nature of, <laughs> of myself. Um, you know, at Norquest, there was an opportunity about four years ago um, to be involved with the Innovation Studio, which ended up being the studio where we recorded the first couple of seasons of Back to School Again. But before that, I got involved with that, I was starting to think about project management. And I had renovated my house. I've done small projects here and there. And I, I felt comfortable with the concept of project management. I just, it's not formalized. And so I, I literally just started project management last week. Um, so it, it's, it's good. And it's, it's, uh, it'll be a way to formalize my experience. And it's interesting because the instructor, Diana, um, she's coming from a background of like $4 billion pipelines and this and that. And I'm like, I just want to manage a podcast <laughs> 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 or a website or, or, or 
content, right? So the scale, like the concept's the same, it, it just scales up, and which is quite interesting. Um, but again, it, it's the start of a six month journey, and I, uh, I decided to try taking starting both my teaching online at University of Calgary and the first module to project management at Grammy Q at the same time. Uh, I'm trying to find time to read. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're maybe regretting that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, the job search continues. If I get a job, I won't. I will spread out project management a little bit more. <laughs> That's good project management, actually, Corey. Time management is uh, is part of it. I actually, um, I do teach project management too, and I know exactly what you're saying because so much project management theory comes out of the engineering, how we're going to build a bridge or a pipeline world. And it really is a bit different when we're talking about either managing a podcast or an event. So I think that'll be interesting for you. <laughs> but like we were chatting earlier, uh, like I just... The, um, the similarities between project management, website development, and e-learning development, they all, at the core, are the same principles. Absolutely. And so I'm feeling quite comfortable in project management, which is, which is great. So the first class is going pretty good. It's just 21 hours of instruction time. Listening to the instructor talk is it's a lot of time. You will get through it. I will get through it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We must talk about audio production and, of course, podcasts. Um, so before working with me on this podcast, did you have any experience doing this type of work? Uh, so what had happened at the at Norquest, um, Dr. Jody Abbott, the president at the time, she's like, Corey, I want to start a podcast. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I love to find the equipment to do the podcast. Can I have a budget? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. And so I came up with this, you know, and, and I, I love this aspect of, of, of project. And again, this goes back to your previous question of, and then going back to Googling, right? Googling is a great teacher. Uh, but so it, it, it came down to finding the tools, the proper microphones, the proper setup, and to ultimately get that, alt, that, that nice, crisp audio and you want, you know, you want to sound buttery and smooth and <laughs> and and velvety and and so that was my first start. That was the base, and and from there, then it was producing Jody's podcast. And creativity wise, wasn't really there. It was pretty standard, just Q and A, and not exactly how I wanted it, would have done it, but it was what they wanted, which is fine. A year later, um, Connor over um, in the Indigenous Center at Norquist approached me with wanting to do um, um, Circle of Knowledge. And this was fantastic because it was an Indigenous voice um, leading the podcast for this one. And this one allows for some more freedom to produce and get a little bit more creative. And so it was, it was great. And then around that time, you and I started uh, working together as well. So... Yeah, again, it's been one of those, what's the problem? What What do the professionals say? What's the best practices out there? And, and go from there. Yeah, and we've learned a lot, I think, over the we last have. couple of years <laughs> doing this show. And, uh, and the two shows that you mentioned are, are fantastic as well. And I'll, I'll link those up in the show notes so that other people can check them out. Getting back to education a little bit, I'm wondering what you think the role of audio is, and specifically 
podcasting. What role do you think that might play in e-learning? And how do you think your skills as an audio producer fit into your e-learning journey? So podcasts in an e-learning space um, definitely holds some interest. Um, the challenge is, is if you're going to do a podcast, you have to commit, right? You can't just, oh, I want to do a podcast, record the first one, and then, oh, we'll get to the next one wherever we do. There's no point. Um, that's just an audio recording with an interview. It's not a podcast. What was interesting, though, is that a podcast can come become a resource, a great resource. And our circle knowledge one, we actually had inquiries um, for transcripts so that it could be then referenced in research here at the University of Alberta. And so the content can become mutual and, and beneficial and informative. And so I think it's a great medium, but it has to be done right and it has to be done thoughtful. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point about um, what is the difference between an actual podcast and what is just an audio recording. And a lot of that does come down to planning and having a vision for what you're trying to do um, and thinking about it more than just a one-off, um, which is sometimes where people get a little bit hung up. And, and Not just people, but institutions as well. Yeah. Right? You know, it's a great idea, but then it's like, oh, what's the time commitment and this and that, right? And how how, how does it all come together? And you know, developing the podcast at Norquest, that was a challenge. It was, when's the next interview? When's the next episode going to be done? You know, so it was very loosey-goosey in trying to get those episodes up and running. Yeah, especially when you have very busy people involved oh, yeah. in, in hosting, then it becomes even more challenging uh, in some ways. Getting back to you, um, I would like to know, what's been the best thing about being a student? You know, it's it's um it's that freedom to explore, right? And to push your creative juices a bit and and not be worried about failure, right? And so I you know, I, I think back to the last project for the e-learning course I took in, during the summer and I stretched beyond what was the realm of what the um the project was, the project mandate. And I more more or less made it more of a business plan idea for a podcast or not a podcast, but a, a website and, and videos. And, and so I customized that to what I wanted. And so it resonated better to me, but subsequently it, the, the instructor liked it and gave me an A on it or A plus on it. So I, I was surprised and it also empowered me to not be afraid to just go beyond the, go beyond the square box and, and push myself out of it. And I think as a student, you should do that because you don't want it to be trapped and you want to push your boundaries because you'd be surprised what happens. Yeah. And surprised what evolves and, and it gives you opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great segue to this next question, which is what you learned about yourself uh, in going on this journey. And, and you shared a little bit of that and talking about getting clarity on, on where you want to go next. Is there anything else that you want to share about what you learned about you? What I learned about myself is that I didn't have to be scared of school anymore. Mm. You know, and it's kind of a, a weird thing, but, you know, growing up as a kid, high school, junior high, wasn't all of that of a positive experience for me. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of other um, adults out there can relate. And, you know, I was a victim of, of bullying and, and, and so forth. And, you know, it, it it's one of those things that kind of sits with you, and it it probably was a bit of a roadblock for me wanting to go back to school because uh, you know there's there's trauma there, yeah. And 
a lot of other people. It's not just me. We, we all have gone through that. And I'm glad I pushed myself because the people I'm meeting on these courses online, they're all like-minded. They're all interested in learning. And also it's a great networking opportunity too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And I find it it's so interesting too, because you work in post-secondary. Um, I, I, I really just enjoy the people I work with and I enjoy them the pace, I guess, yeah. of post-secondary. Yeah. Well, well, to end on a, a happier note, I want to circle back to food. Yay. And I know that's been, you know, a lifelong passion. And you've given me some really great recipes of things to do with tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, what's on the plate these days, Corey? Tomatoes. <laughs> Tis the season. Um, you know, people go home after a long, hard, busy day and – They'll either sit in front of the TV, they'll play video games. I crack out the chef knife and I, I cook a sauce or I make a stock or I, I make dinner or, or something. It just, and my wife, uh, Catherine, we, we both enjoy cooking a lot. And, and so it's, it's therapeutic for us. Um, not necessarily therapeutic on the waistline, but it's, it's, um, it's rewarding and it's a common ground for a lot of people. Amazing. And lastly, what's next for you? Uh, next, uh, I'm actually interested in looking at um, accessibility certification um, through this organization in the U.S. It's the IAAP. And sorry, I cannot remember what that is, but we'll include a link in the description below. <laughs> we sure will. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think accessibility is really starting to click with me. And I want to build upon that. And they've got a web web accessibility certification that I think I can I can get into. And once I get through project management, and once I get through my my e learning certificate at the University of Calgary, then I, then then I'm going to get more serious on that. One. See, now that you've opened up this school thing, you're just you're like every other guest on this program. It's like now that I've done this, I'm yeah, going for this and the next thing. Uh, the the possibilities are now endless for you. Well, Corey, I want to say thanks so much for being here, and I'm sure you're going to have a really fun time editing this episode. Thank you, Katrina, and yeah, sorry, Corey. I really can't say enough good things about Corey. He's an amazing person, a talented multimedia producer, fun to work with, and really knows how to get guests to relax and bring their best self to the podcast. I also thought I knew Corey pretty well, but I had a surprising aha moment when he shared that he'd had a bad experience with school and bullying early on, which made him a little reticent to go back to school as an adult. The emotions we attach to our experiences are powerful. So it's totally understandable how a bad experience in education can leave us feeling like we never want to go back to a classroom again. However, having overcome that now, it seems like Corey is on a roll with two programs on the go and plans for more. That's what can happen when you find your calling, the unique contribution only you can make. I'm super excited for Corey's journey into making the online experience more accessible for everyone. That's our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Athabasca University, for generously supporting the show. You can find out more about their many educational offerings at athabascau.ca. If you like the show, please give us a rating. It helps other people connect to us. You can reach me at backtoschoolagain.ca or at schoolagainpod on all the usual social channels. I'd love to hear your story. 
back to school again was recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional homelands of First Nations and Métis people. Special thanks to our talented technical producer, Corey Stroder. Back to School Again is proud to be affiliated with the Alberta Podcast Network. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. See you next time.